Welcome once again to the digital campus of Newark UPC or United Pentecostal Church in Newark, Delaware. We're glad to have you with us as we continue our series of teachings entitled, You Fool. Now, before I begin this evening, I want to take a moment to speak to our young people. Uh, everyone else may listen in, but this is aimed at the younger members of our congregation. I hope that it has dawned on you that in these days of a modern plague, you're being presented with an almost unbelievable learning opportunity in these evening broadcasts. Along with the Bible teaching, you are getting to observe and evaluate multiple styles of study that's manifested in the organization and presentation of these lessons from a variety of uh, teachers with a range of personalities and ministerial experience. There's no telling where the paths of life may take you. Today may be presenting you with the very thing that you will find exceedingly valuable at some time decades from now. I often use things I learned from some of my teachers that had nothing to do with the subject we were studying. Now, the horse trough of learning is before you. So since you are here, you may as well get a good drink. Now, back to our lesson. Tonight, I will be going to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and teaching on the subject of the foolishness of preaching. That phrase, taken alone, might be covered in three to five minutes. When it's put into the context of both Paul's writings and the world condition that they describe, it expands far beyond our time limit for tonight. So, here we go. Now, the church in Corinth had many problems and misunderstandings that Paul addressed in this letter. After a short introduction and a summation about baptism, he turned to the matter of foolishness and wisdom as related to the preaching of the cross, the crucifixion. Uh, let's take a little trip through a few verses here and see if we can pick up on Paul's thinking about the world's wisdom and the foolishness of preaching. We'll be mainly be using the King James Version tonight and uh, start with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, the New Living Translation says, not with clever speech, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Nice little segue from his uh, talking about baptism into this 
topic of wisdom and foolishness and the preaching of the cross and uh, that he was not depending on his oratorical abilities as much as Paul emphasized baptism. He was not concerned about who did the actual baptizing. His accent, his calling, was to preach the gospel. In doing so, he was not so concerned about oratory or clever phrasing and alliteration, but the stress was upon the truth that this was God's way of restoring fractured humanity or the fractured human family to himself in righteousness for eternity. This is quite a turnabout. For Paul, as a student of Gamaliel, would have been well-trained, not only in the law, but also in logic, rhetoric, and argumentation. Uh, he had come to realize, however, that a person convinced by intellectual prowess and persuasive argument can be drawn to another conclusion by a more clever argument. Someone touched by the power of the cross, though, has a shield of experience that is impervious to other claims. Verse number 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. In this verse, Paul takes us into the arena where the conflict is over the perception of preaching and introduces us to the combatants, them that perish and we which are saved, each battling to label preaching of the cross as either foolishness or the power of God. Verse number 19 then tells us, for it is written, and you can find the place that Paul is referring to in Isaiah 29, verse 14. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Again, the New Living Translation uses the terminology, discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Here, Paul reveals the secret weapon in our armory. We are not alone in the arena. God has already been here before us and prepared the field. He has already declared that in this battle, he will disarm the foe of the power of his weapons. While the products of their minds may seem as potent as ever, our message strikes through the heart, not just the heart of the matter, but the heart of the hungry. A few years back, my wife and I took a young lady to lunch and got an opportunity to witness about her, or witness about Jesus to her for the first time. Now, this was not just the first time for us to tell her the old, old story. 
but because she was from one of the countries where Christianity, indeed all religion, has been banned and therefore largely absent for a couple of generations or so. This was the first time she had ever heard what we could almost recite in our sleep. As I began to quickly summarize who Jesus was and his mission among us, she was, she was very interested. When I relayed the story of betrayal and death, sadness clouded her face. And when I told her of the resurrection, her wide eyes got real big and wide open. Astonishment was plainly on display. No, she's not yet one of us, not in that way. But the seed has been sown and taken back to a foreign land. In God's time, I expect it to flower. I'm not depending on her remembering my phrasing or my lacking of oratorical ability. The power is not in me or in my presentation. It's in the message itself. Verse number 20 says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? In this verse, Paul is echoing the cadence of Isaiah 33 and 18, where the prophet is referring to an abortive attack by Shennacherib. As Albert Barnes describes it, uh, speaking of Isaiah 33:18, where is the wise man that laid the plan of destroying the nation? Where is the inspector general employing, employed in arranging the forces? Where is the receiver? In the margin it says weigher, or actually it's paymaster of the forces, the, the uh, paymaster of the army. And where is the man that counted the towers of Jerusalem and calculated on their speedy overthrow? You see, they had been threatened, they were afraid, turmoil everywhere, but later on, they could say, where'd all those folks go? Because God had delivered them from what seemed like overwhelming force. Paul again uses this same form of speech in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55, when he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The point in each of these instances, in the Old Testament and in the New, is that what we thought was so fearfully dangerous, the intelligentsia, Shennacherib's army, even death itself, turned out to be no problem for our God. Trotting out what the New Living Translation calls these philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters, could be a little scary until you remember that it was medical doctors 
who originally opposed mandatory hand-washing between patient exams, and some physicists who were certain that the sound barrier could never be broken. For centuries, the scientific community was certain that it was impossible for man to fly <laughs> until it wasn't. The expert, put that in quotes, the expert isn't always right. Just ask the centurion who believed the master of the ship rather than Paul on the journey to Rome. I've known in my lifetime some whose idea of Sunday go-to-meeting clothes was a clean and pressed pair of overalls. But these sometimes knew more about the nature and the power of God than some who had enough degrees to rival a thermometer. Brother T.F. Tenney uh, used to speak of a certain class of people who had been <clears throat> educated beyond their intelligence. Back to the Bible, verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, Paul was not anti-intellectual or anti-education. In fact, he would have been in the running as one of the best educated men of his time. But he realized that human logic and wisdom were insufficient to comprehend a God who could only be known by self-revelation. To understand the plan and the will of God by human philosophical reasonings is as fruitless as trying to master calculus by studying a cookbook. Not only is the answer not there, the whole concept is missing. Human ideation sends us off seeking flour and seasoning while God already has a banquet prepared and waiting. Looking back through the mythology of the ages, it's easy to see that people have missed the essence of God. The general idea was that gods, of whatever form they took, were essentially just people with outsized power and ego. With all our faults and all our flaws, writ large. They made their gods in the image of man. In mythology, it was necessary to appease the wrath of the gods by elaborate sacrifices. Even then, their capriciousness might undo all the efforts of their devotees. Offer you sacrifices and still have calamity come. 
It's only by the foolishness of preaching. Now, not foolish preaching, though there's been plenty of that as well, but by the foolishness of preaching, we learn that God made us in his image and loves us in spite of our flaws. We understand through preaching that the cross was not a defeat, but the ultimate victory. The old, old story lets us know that it is not our sacrifices that save, but his redeeming offering at Calvary, which settles the debt of our sins. It was necessary for mankind to protect itself from these imagined gods. The preaching of the cross lets us know that the real God protects us from the consequences of our own foolishness and rebellion. You may have your favorite preacher, if you will, but the preacher will not save you. In a long life, you may have many pastors, evangelists, teachers, or, or others, but they are only human. People will not save you, but the preaching will if it leads you to the cross and the life-changing power of God. To just talk, which is basically what preaching is, isn't it? Just speaking a set of words. Whether you talk soft or loud, on an intellectual plane, or with South 40 clarity, well-planned and with thought-out phrasing, or unexpectedly impromptu, it may seem the weakest of instruments. The Jews may find the stumbling block of a sign they didn't want, and the Greeks categorize what does not stay confined to their rigid reasoning as foolish. But the preaching of the cross has worked a wonder in my life and very likely in yours. They may not accept it. But verse 24 says, But unto them which are called both Jew and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's not in what we can come up with. It's what God has done and the telling of that message. Verse 27, but God, uh, no, verse 26, let me go back there. For, seeing your, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Uh, there may yet be those that classify us as uh, from the other side of the tracks, an ignorant and unwashed rabble. Well, maybe we're not the elite inhabiting the halls of power, 
or the towers of academia. But we know whom we have believed. And we are part of that blood-washed throng of Revelation 1 and 5. Then verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Well, that pretty well sums us up. We may not be much, but he has chosen to use us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for making us part of your kingdom. I'm not anything, and neither is anybody I know except you. Since you first touched me in the desolate reaches of the West Texas desert, I've never come close to earning my keep or deserving your attention. My highest intellectual attainment before you could rank no higher than a, a baby noticing its own hand for the first time. Lord, I don't even know how to continue this except to say thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending someone to tell me of the truth of the powerful cross of Calvary. Thank you for more than I can ever know. Thank you for being our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been good to have you with us this evening. Hope you will join us again. And until then, uh, <clears throat> remember, we're talking about you fool. God bless you. Good night.